Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Christopher Borgley, a writer and director whose short film Former Cult Member Hears Music for the First Time and feature film Sick of Myself established his very specific, very clever voice. His English-language debut, Dream Scenario, is another evolution, casting Nicolas Cage as a middle-aged college professor who resents the success of his colleagues and hopes for his own work to be as renowned, only to find himself becoming globally famous when he starts inexplicably turning up in people's dreams. He's playing in the U.S. and Toronto right now, and it opens theatrically across the rest of Canada this Friday, and you should definitely see it. Christopher chose Lars von Trier's The Idiots, the second film produced under the Danish Dogma 95 movement's Vows of Chastity, which imposed severe limits on filmmakers in order to remove the artifice of cinema. This one stars Bodil Jorgensen as a young woman who falls in with a group of people who have chosen to embrace provocation to shatter the veneer of polite society, mostly by thrashing and collapsing in public places. Taking up residence in a crumbling mansion, they form a commune of rebels, but that's not exactly a sustainable proposition. It is called The Idiots, after all. This is someone else's movie. I chose The Idiots because uh, of its sort of relevance to me as a, a Scandinavian person who fell in love with uh, uh, cinema at a, at an early age or on my, you know, late teens or mid-teens. I guess I started uh, thinking about becoming a filmmaker myself. Um, and I think... Um, Lars von Trier was just an example that existed in, you know, in proximity. It wasn't Hollywood. Uh, it was a Scandinavian filmmaking and it had its very specific tone. And uh, and I felt uh, that I could relate to the sort of sardonic nature of his work. Uh, and it, it just uh, has been important to me from an early age and still is like he's still one of uh, my favorite filmmakers. He holds a certain fascination for me as well in that I seem to like and hate each of every other one of his films in order. I don't know why exactly, but there's going to be one that I like. And then immediately after that, he'll disappoint me in some way. Well, I think I think he's like uh, not very interested in repeating himself. So if sure. you fell in love with one specific thing, he won't do that again. You know? Oh, yeah. He'll almost actively resist it. Yeah, um, I think. And And this one... Well, I should, I'll, I'll provide some context in the, in the introduction about the dogma movement, but I was around at TIFF when they started postering this, the, the festival venues with the, with the manifesto okay. um, in 95. And we all just sort of regarded it with curiosity more than anything else. And then the idiots really feels like the defining statement that this is what they wanted it to be even more so than the celebration, just because the celebration feels so suffocating and interior and the idiots is all over the place and just moving around you. It, it has much more of a gorilla feel to it to me in that he's just running down streets with people and following them into the world and yeah. using all of it as a set. And I feel like the, the form reflects the themes or the philosophy of uh, the group in the film, mm -hmm. the idea of, um, uh, being sort of fed up with the polite or even the artifice of being a, a social person in our society and then also the artifice of film and being like sort of 
seeing its limitations and problems with artifice um, is like reflected in both the script and the the filmmaking. Yeah, it's um, it's its own commentary. It's its own cautionary against embracing um, or not embracing, but it's it's its own cautionary against pushing too hard against people's expectations, I suspect. I mean, Von Trier had been doing that all along, but this one, and it was, it was so, it's hard to explain to people now, I found, just how shocking it was to see the Dogma films from Von Trier specifically, because his earlier films were so textural and, and sleek. Uh, and then when he did even something like Breaking the Waves, which is kind of on the, it's not a Dogma film, but it embraces a great deal of, of the filmmaking choices, it felt messy and rebellious in a way that people just didn't see coming from him. And I mean, I can must have been blindsided by it, but um, I still, I think it might actually be his best film. It's the, it's the moment where to, for me anyway, it feels like he's embracing every possibility and channeling it all through performances that, that really pay off uh, emotionally. Yeah. I mean, I, he's not embracing every possibility. I think that uh, with his sort of later work from, antichrist on he did embrace the possibilities of uh mood through uh cinematography in a different way sure uh, it feels like uh with um the idiots it it really is about stripping everything down to the core of the the idea itself and not um relying on any sort of uh tricks you know um, and and I really like uh, his later work too, where he does embrace um, the, the all the, the like form and style and and music. Um, but I think I chose the idiots because uh, of like I I saw it when I was what sixteen or something for the first time and. Um, to me, it was like the jackass of for me, like, you know, oh, yeah. the label with jackass was like, don't attempt this at home. And I feel like uh, uh, the idiot should have that label because <laughs> I started like doing the things in the movie. I was so impressionable that I thought this was like cool and fun. And, and I started like spassing mm -hmm. uh, in my little hometown. Uh, and I was like, so swept up in it, not just as a, a, a an artwork or, 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 or a film, but as like an idea that could be applied to life, which in retrospect seems really silly, but uh, it had that effect on me. And later in, in my life, I've come to think of what he was doing there with Dogma as uh, the echo of uh, the French New Wave. And the French New Wave being the moment in film history where movies became self-aware um and um and then sort of after the french new wave it sort of like disappeared again and 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 lost the self-awareness and then here was like at least another sort of um um attempt at shaking the format uh loose of tra tradition to find something else and um and I really like that. I like that. I don't think that we're done with with sort of form. Uh, we haven't found the final form of cinema yet. I think we should explore and investigate and be curious. 
And I think uh, Lars von Trier was like really brave for doing it at a moment where he was finally sort of uh, embraced and, and championed as a, you know, like a, a household name as a director. And then this is what he follows up with, you know, it's, it's really ballsy and he's very punk in that sense. Um, and, and and that's why like this movie is uh, uh, so interesting to watch a master of cinema uh, just uh, uh, strip everything down. And it feels a little bit like what happened in with art as a response to the to the camera. You know, you had um, painters who were just expert at, uh, you know, anatomically correct representation of a scenery. Um, and then the photograph comes and, and sort of takes that whole idea and makes it easy. Uh, anyone can do it. And so you have people like Picasso who sort of um, makes it a conceptual idea of representation through art. And uh, uh, Picasso knew how to paint anatomically correct. He had that skill. Um, uh, and that's important, I think, to be able to know which parts you're stripping away and, and to be able to, um, kind of choose when to not, uh, adapt or adopt the, uh, sort of traditional form exercises. And, um, it, it's like, it looks easy to make the idiots, but it actually isn't. It's oh, like, no. you know, Picasso had this, um, thing where he's drawing uh seagulls on a napkin and selling them for like $50 a piece and uh and someone comes up to him like why should i pay $50 for something that took you 5 seconds to draw and he said it didn't take 5 seconds this took 20 years or something like that oh, and and that feels true to the idiots too it's like it looks like a very easy thing to do but of course it's taken him his whole life to come to that point where he can do that yeah, what struck me watching it, rewatching it this time was the sense that, well, it's the liberation that's present, right? The the sense of absolute freedom that they've given themselves by stripping away all the artifice of cinema and and just it it obliterates the force. It is sort of it, it's the opposite of the French New Wave as a revolution though, because the French New Wave was about the romance of cinema and the and and being. Uh, you get the, the the joy of the artists who are playing inside of this thing that they've worshipped. And here it's different. We're invited in in a different way because the fourth wall is gone um, in, in some strange stage proscenium sort of thing where the lack of artifice heightens the artifice and makes us aware that it's all that it's all a movie, that it's all a put on. But but it's as though in the idiots and in, in less so in the celebration, which still to me struck me as like a, it's a it's brilliant, but it it's a stage play that has been turned into a film. This is a film that always and only could have been cinema. Um, and then from these two films, you have the various versions of the dogma that keep coming for the next, what, 10 years, where people are fighting over what it is or what it could be, or, you know, Harmony Korine is making his exceptions by going to places where the music is playing and then using that intentionally or setting things up in advance, but making sure they're technically diegetic. The purity in this one is that you are so uncomfortable with what you are experiencing the first time through because the actors are going for it in ways that feel and, and intentionally so, right? There, it feels inappropriate. It feels too intimate, which in retrospect is the whole point because it brings us to that thing at the very end with 
with Karen and her family, where you just, or Karen and her family, and you understand it's an expression of pain for her, finally. It's something else, but it takes the whole movie to get there, and you have to be immersed in it. It's like it's holding your head in this world long enough to feel. Yeah, and, and that's where, I, for me, The Idiots feels like it's a fun Trier movie because I feel like he writes in sort of the uh, Russian tradition of like Chekhov uh, or Tolstoy or something where he um, he he doesn't shy away from all the ways that you can manipulate an audience with uh, with a story of uh, you know like um, the the whole idea of like save the cat you know of like how to how to make your audience feel something by manipulating them in in like a very specific ways and that um, he does strip away everything that relates to the technicality of shooting a movie, but he still relies on his like uh, um, Russian literature way of manipulating us, the audience. And, and the way that that movie ends with us realizing what that character was, she wasn't introduced randomly as it feels uh, it has like a extremely painful payoff in the end, and you realize, oh, there's a, a master artistry going on here, and which which like uh, I think comes naturally to Lars. Uh, I think it's probably so easy for him to write these things that he is trying to constantly make it more difficult. The, you know the manipulation of the the media the medium of film uh he doesn't want to rely on it he wants to make it more difficult in some way and then prove that he still can make you feel something you know with uh dogville you know just like setting just like telling people constantly you're watching an artifice this is completely constructed and yet we feel so much um which is like sort of a like some sort of devilish trick that he's playing on us. And and I really like that. And I think that movies so often has the quality of making us forget we watch a movie that we're so neatly wrapped in something that um, is easy to digest and easy to box into like a certain experience that it sort of gives us what we sort of expect at the right time. And it makes us often feel um, at ease with what we're watching. It's like an enjoyable thing because it's like sort of exactly what we asked for, uh, but it might not be what we need. Um, and I think that's what Lars is doing is like giving us what we really need and and forcing us to... Um, sort of get rid of our labels or boxes and and in a way that's what a drug experience is for some people you know they take lsd to sort of uh uh shatter the borders of how we experience life how we see life that it's there's like vastly different ways of just seeing the things that you take for granted in your data that like you get just like swept up in an autopilot way of of enjoying both life and cinema 
and 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 certain filmmakers are are like interested in in um shattering those things to get to something new it's the sculpture concept right i mean you chip away at something to reveal the form underneath and here you're chipping away at literally the format of the the concept of sitting in a movie th- did you actually i should roll back on this did you see uh, the idiots in a theater or were you young enough to see it when it first came out no i didn't see it in a theater i saw it um on probably dvd <laughs> right yeah. yeah i i saw it at a press screening and it was met with either silence or open hostility it was it's a remarkable experience with a crowd to yeah. feel to feel a room and admittedly these are canadian critics rather than you know, Europeans, we all knew who Funcher was and were familiar with his work, but there was definitely a different mindset at the time. And yeah. a couple of people absolutely despised it. Just, you could feel it. You could feel the angry shifting in the chairs. And then the ending hits and everybody just gets absolutely still. Yeah. And a couple of people, again, this probably the same people, because I couldn't really tell, but people were like, <clears throat> just harumphing their way out of the theater. Yeah. And I just had to go walk around for a little bit and think it through. Yeah. And seeing seeing it alone, I think, would be just very, very different. Well, also, like, I'm seeing it at a point in my life where I don't have a sort of expectation of what the limits of cinema is. I'm mm-hmm. seeing the idiots as a, uh, a person who is just getting... Uh, sort of exposed to cinema so it to me i didn't know it was breaking all those rules so uh it probably felt very different from for you and i to see this movie to me i was just seeing like oh this is a movie okay that makes sense i guess you know uh but what what did you feel when you saw it as as a person who you know has already uh sort of drawn a map of what movies can be yeah, I'd made my decisions, I guess. Um, yeah. I would have been 32 and familiar with von Trier's work and and the movement. And I thought, oh, this feels like a logical place for him to go. What surprised me was later when he became much more formalist again. Yeah. Uh, this felt like this is where he's going to go forever. This He's going to live in this space because he understands it so well. Yeah. And it also fit with his... You know, clearly he'd already established himself as a provocateur, uh, both both publicly and, and in his art. And so it just felt like he was going to keep finding more and more extreme ways to disassociate the audience within his work. And, and instead, weirdly enough, that's what Harmony Corinne ended up doing. I mean, his latest film is shot in infrared. It's just it's completely inaccessible to the to the casual moviegoer. You need to already know who he is and what he does to even begin to unpack it. And Von Trier went in a different direction. And I think part of that is his obsession with depression and not like he has personal experience of it. Um, But as he sharpens his toolbox with films like Melancholy and Antichrist, it's so clear that that's his only, like that's the thing he's most interested in. And when he veers out of it, even something like Nymphomaniac, which is incredibly ambitious and complex, doesn't feel as satisfying to me as the films where he digs into himself, into, into his own interests but his shifting back and forth between handheld and and locked down shots and his his choice of grains and textures in the digital videos that he uses he's continuing to be a fascinating frustrating evolving artist for me and it's what i was saying about every other movie for whatever reason pushing me away uh like the house that jack built i understand what he's doing i simply don't care for it and 
that's fine, I guess. Other people like it more than, say, Nymphomaniac or, or Melancholia. But when he's in that sweet spot, when he is really pulling things out of himself, however he's doing it, that's when I find myself connecting to. Yeah. The, the, it sort of felt like rebellious for him, I guess, to be so formally. Yeah. Flexing formally. And so that that's a, a way for him to yet again go against expectations. Uh, but there is something in that space of like, say, melancholia. It has so many uh, sequences that aren't about uh, the script. Mm -hmm. it, it's really about the, the what you can achieve out of the the, the medium itself. And um, he's always been like a big Tarkovsky fan, you know, and, and his movies are felt more than they are cerebral mm -hmm. um and i i think like if i were to say my favorite fun trick i think it's melancholia yeah uh, it's up there for me too yeah but but again like i think just because the idiots was there so early for me it's been of course like more influential for me it was an important film for me to watch at a young age and also like important because I thought movies had to look and feel a certain way. Uh, and I was from a small town in Norway and I was frustrated by uh, the, the, what I felt was like a, a glass ceiling of what's possible to do in our culture. Uh, and he really shattered that and, and sort of, made me uh more hopeful about finding art in my m like what i felt as very mundane uh immediate surroundings hey it's norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on shiny things my newsletter about physical media culture and the odd streaming project Last week, I wrote about Universal's 4K release of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and Criterion's new edition of Claude Chabrol's La Ceremonie and the launch of the label's new world cinema imprint, Janus Contemporaries. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. When you did experiment with spazzing on your own, how was that received? I mean... Did the film penetrate enough that other people knew what you were doing, or was it simply no? no and also, it's like um, the the Scandinavian society is sort of like um, introverted and polite. So for someone to do things like that, with you know, there's I, nobody actually engaged or tried to uh, 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 intervene or anything. And I was just like going nuts in like inside stores and stuff uh but people just left me alone and i had fun with my friends i was you know i was just uh uh performing for my own sake i guess um and it's it purely just silly and almost like maybe offensive you know <laughs> looking back <laughs> well i was gonna say yeah there's i can't remember the title but there was a documentary fairly recently um Actually, it can't be that reason because I saw it in a theater. Uh, so four years ago at Hot Docs, maybe there was a doc about um, 
a group of uh, friends who are gamers and and sliding into fascism uh, quietly somewhere in may have been Denmark, um, but they're their reflexive little joke with one another is to make a sound that's translated as malm, but it is effectively like what someone with Down syndrome would sound like laughing, or it's like the caricature of that. And it's really horrible to see it performed in public on a bus, in restaurants. And it's just, it's just a thing that happens. And every now and then the, the frame is wide enough that you can see someone's head snap around to see what's going yeah. on. Yeah. And that's 2000 and let's say 18. Yeah. I think like the 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 thing that I uh, latched on to more was like almost more in the in the jackass sense, mm. you know, of like like stumbling around, falling over in the store, like really like Buster Keaton style uh, uh, slapstick idiocy. Uh, but but uh, the idiots is I would assume if released now would have um, a different response not that it wasn't controversial but i think it would be controversial in almost like a different sense now oh i think so yeah yeah the you can't you simply cannot do that kind of response to it yeah which makes sense <laughs> yeah i mean i get the the problem with the film is that you have to see it to understand the larger context right and that's that's a stumbling block these days for art um yeah. if someone hears something has been uh labeled difficult that's enough they won't they either won't see it or they'll echo it i mean it's it's just the outgrowth of social media and instant response where you have to have a take right but um i mean like just the right now we have arguments about killers of the flower moon and whether or not it should exist at all as a as a white man's film whereas you know i i would argue that maybe martin scorsese at this point in his career is the only person who could have made the film at the scale that it's made and told it the way he tells it and be sympathetic. And there simply isn't a way to get a studio to finance a film by an indigenous filmmaker yeah. on that scale. So it's a conflict that you have to resolve and you have to understand before you can resolve it. And that requires seeing the movie and people are already complaining that the movie is too long. So they're not doing that either. It's just this endless cycle. And, and you know, your own work is all about um, sort of knee jerk responses to things without trying to understand them, which is a wonderful way to segue into both sick of myself and dream scenario, which are about people who are sort of trapped in cycles of their own, not of their own making necessarily, but you know, the be careful what you wish for aspect of dream scenario is absolutely wonderful and, yeah. uh, and deeply thorny. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like with, with what we we're just talking about, just the idea that portrayal of something isn't condoning it. Exactly. Yeah. Depiction is not endorsement. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's an important thing for an audience to remember that um, we can show like terrible behavior um, without what is it in like academia? It's uh, um, uh, descriptive versus normative. Mm. You know, it's like describing something uh, doesn't mean that you're saying it's morally right or wrong you're just describing it and that's i think just um tools of that the audience need they need like a, a a way to understand things and and uh it's a little bit on the audience too to sort of engage with something in a more complicated or complex way than simply uh this is wrong or this is right oh i agree the worst thing about the state of 
understanding art right now is the death of ambiguity and the, and the need people have to explain things. And when they don't understand something, or maybe they looked away from the screen because they were doing something else instead of watching the damn movie, that becomes a plot hole. It's like, no. And, and the proliferation of explainers online and things, I mean, I'm sure Dream Scenario is going to be an endless uh, inspiration for those sites because you're and I don't think this constitutes a spoiler, your absolute refusal to explain anything about what's happening and stranding us in the position of, of Nicolas Cage's character, yeah. who is utterly helpless to change anything. Although looking back, it's pretty clear to see where he influences the path of events. Um, I just, I loved watching people argue about it after the festival screening at TIFF because it was so clear everybody had absolutely understood the film, but nobody liked understanding it. They wanted to to know how other people interpreted it, which is yeah. exactly how you one interprets dreams, right? The first thing you do is ask someone else what you think that dream meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, it, it's always such a, a joy to discover a mystery of the world. Uh, you know, like the when we realized that there was a, a discrepancy in in the general public between the blue dress or yellow dress right. phenomenon, and there was like a new thing that was a mystery for a little bit until we sort of like figure out exactly what was going on, and and cinema is a place where you can create mystery and we can live with the the sense of of trying to understand it ourselves and i always think that movies should come with some assembly required that it's not like prefabricated and finished it's it comes in pieces and you do the assembly and i want to like sort of as an audience member while writing there's just an enjoyment of the mystery for me too and i don't want to like go there and explain because i i'm not interested in it I keep coming back to breaking the waves and how it maintains its ambiguity right up until the very last shot, uh, at which point it becomes something truly beautiful. And I think the reason I love it so much is because Von Trier validates something that and, you mean and the, the, the like godly, the, the bells, yeah, the bells yeah, in the yeah, sky. Yeah. Um, and also because they look just a tiny bit phony. Yeah. Just a little bit like imagination. Like yeah. if, if you had to, invent heavenly bells this is what they would probably look like like, they, yeah. like someone had drawn them and then they were hastily put together yeah and it it sent me out of the theater on such a high which was so weird i'm not a believer by any means but i i do enjoy movies that validate worldviews when it's called for yeah. and then i saw something like then i saw the idiots which is well that's the bad example but i think something like um dancer in the dark where he gives you the complete opposite uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a godless universe. No good deed is unpunished and yeah. there is only misery yeah. uh, and sacrifice. And both films are about martyrs. But weirdly enough, the one that ended hopefully is the one that I prefer from Lars von Trier. And I think yeah. it's because even then it's the depression talking. I can feel him trying to find reason to go forward. Well, I'm like at the end of uh, Dancer in the Dark. I'm like crying, but I'm also feeling Lars von Trier laughing at me for crying you know? <laughs> that he manipulated me in that way. Because again, that's like the like almost um, 
like almost a parody of the the like russian literature depression everything's miserable and and dragging a character through so much misery you know and that there's no hope and um and she you know talk about save the cat you know like the character she's going blind and all she wants is to make enough money to pay for surgery for her son she's so selfless he really is you know playing into the book doing it by the book and doing it so extreme that you almost have to laugh about it yeah it's um i think it's it's incredible too that both of his films both of those films end with they're about martyrdom and they end with like the ultimate act of self-sacrifice and yeah you're right he's he's showing us in dancer in the dark it's like well look this is how it could have gone you could have felt just terrible yeah. and it's it doesn't like it feels like it's too intimate to behold and i think Bjork's performance is the thing that keeps me from allowing me to disconnect fully because she's not laughing at herself. She's playing yeah. it as honestly as possible. And that oh, rawness. That's really in. important to me. The, the Del Close uh, quote of play to the top of your intelligence is something that stuck with me with comedy because it's so easy to lean in uh, on the joke of the scene. Uh, like go for the low hanging fruits where we collectively make fun of the character. But if we don't allow the character to break his own integrity, it's going to feel more painful. And that's my humor is in sort of the tragedy. Uh, so not letting any of the characters in on the genre, they, the, the, they're oblivious to it being a comedy. They're helplessly stuck inside of a drama and they can't get out of the drama. Like that's where I think I find humor. It's certainly, yeah, I, I, I've been, I, again, I'm just actively trying to protect dream scenario from listener for the listeners so they don't have any spoilers, but how do you spoil something like this? It's, it is such a pleasure to watch the, uh, how can I put it? The refraction of Cage throughout the film and the ways he embraces different versions of him. I mean, he is ultimately playing the quintessential Nicolas Cage character, which is that everybody has an idea of him in their head as larger than life and bigger and, and wider and broader. And yeah. you've given him the room to do that, but it always comes back to this small man who, yeah. whose world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and who doesn't go over the top and who is... His re his responses in you know quote unquote the real world are utterly credible. They're never preposterous. They're they're he's bewildered. He's angry. He's lost. He's alone. But at no point does he you know turn into a rooster or anything like that. He, he never goes he never goes as big as he could be. I, I've always argued that Nicolas Cage is just an opera singer in the wrong career. Yeah. But in a small mode, when you when you pull it down into him, it's. It's still magical. It's just quiet. Yeah. Uh, my, my um, I had a friend uh, fly in from Norway to be at the L.A. premiere of Dream Scenario. And he uh, told me after the movie that he was like baffled that, you know, I got Nicolas Cage in the movie. But then I'm just like dragging him through hell, <laughs> like not giving him any sort of, you know, uh, moment of 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 optimism or anything he's just like you know he gets uh uh i throw him under the bus but it's it's like what i like to do with my characters i think I, at least until now 
maybe I won't do it in the next one. But like, I, I really just, for some reason, love seeing a flawed character suffer the consequences of their flaws as a way to like exercise my own demons and and say like this is what you'll get if you like lean into those negative traits yeah well i mean sick of myself is is about someone who obliterates herself yeah to be known and or, dream scenarios of empathy is like how i saw it um i i just remember being in a relationship uh makes my experience the phenomenology of experience in a relationship is different uh, and it's performative in a way that if I'm alone and I have a he headache, that headache is really manageable and I just try to ignore it. But in a relationship, I need the other person to acknowledge my headache and need they I need to perform it so that they understand how big of a deal it is. And we have to like collectively mourn my headache. Um, and there's something about that in a relationship that sick of myself you know they're kind of like starving each other for that type of sympathy or attention and um and it runs amok in in that relationship and i think that because we live in today and we all know sort of what motivates the western world uh we tend to extrapolate that to mean that she's social media addicted or something we don't even show her on social media in the, in the film i've seen so many examples of reviews talking about like this is a movie about social media you know and that's where that that's something that's in the head of the reviewer that's where i but again like as i say like i want some assembly required i want you to put the pieces together if that's your takeaway that's fine but i think that some people are just saying that it is about that, that it's a fact. Yeah, no, people argue the metaphor. I guess I should have said to be seen, even if it's just by yeah, her partner. Invalidated, yes, yes, exactly. But that's that's what I meant. It's um, it's about the desperation to exist, right? Like to be yeah. to be seen to exist. Uh, and in and in dream scenario, you have someone who wants people to stop seeing him. Ultimately, yeah. Well, I think he has a, an idea of a, a healthy amount of sort of uh, recognition and for something healthy like uh, academic achievements mm -hmm. but he's so like his his idea of himself uh is so uh divorced from how other people see him and i think he's delusional and he is uh, uh you know we meet that character uh at sort of the final straw of like closing the door on academic recognition it's the like last attempt at like pleading with a former colleague to at least credit him on a paper uh that he hasn't contributed to at all and because he's so start of it that's an interesting character to uh uh, uh see go through this like insane uh dream uh phenomenon and how he and he will respond to it in all the wrong ways because he thinks he can get uh, something healthy, something that's desired in his life. He thinks he can get that out of that. And uh, the movie sort of uh, looking at both the discrepancy between a person and persona, but also like how um, 
just recognition in its own is like can be horrific and and undesirable um and that there's um this like contract that we set up with ourselves uh that our happiness is held hostage to a unattainable goal somewhere in the future and i i will make sure that i won't be happy until i reach that and here you have a man who is like a tenured professor at a nice university who has a, 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 a nice family and, and a, a lovely wife and for some reason is making himself miserable. And that's something I thought of with, you know, the whole experiment of uh, the welfare state, which I've grown up in, that there's like all of these miserable people uh, who are living safe and sort of, uh, you know, um, uh materialistically you know good lives but there's still ways that we make ourselves miserable uh and it's sort of like a, a the angle which you view life from um needs to be reconfigured um yeah i don't know what the question was but <laughs> no that was we covered a lot um it's such a well, it's just such a such a rich text to explore. And again, I don't want to explore too much of it uh, before people get the chance to see it. So I'll pull back and I, I will ask the closer, which is the same on every episode. And it's simply, is there anything from the movie we've been discussing that you've borrowed or uh, homaged or outright stolen for your own work? Is there anything in The Idiots? I didn't see anything in Dream Scenario. There's no dogma dream. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty uh, far removed from like surface level. I think what you can recognize, I guess, is a sort of maybe a little bit mean-spirited humor. <laughs> uh, that there's um, humor coming from tragedy, and that's that um, it it it's not really a clear answer to where it's okay to laugh or not, which I think really that's like the whole nature of the idiots. Um, and, and that's just, um, that might come from uh, being early exposed to Lars von Trier and having him sort of take root in my subconscious that there's might be something of that voice in my head when I'm writing. Uh, and sometimes actually, not of a, that I think of it with sick of myself. Um, I was remember being stuck on a draft and then thinking, let me pretend that I'm Lars von Trier helping myself write another draft of the script. And I wrote a whole draft through the sort of emulation of Lars von Trier. Um, so he's definitely like sort of part of my inner monologue somehow. And I'm I'm just like really grateful for all the the sort of risks that he's taken um he's like uh you know he's uh opened doors so that we all can walk through them even if you stumble and fall over yeah exactly stumbling through his doors my thanks to christopher borgley whose new film dream scenario is now playing in the u.s and toronto and opening across the rest of canada this friday thanks also to claire peace mcconnell she knows what she did you can follow Christopher on Instagram at Chris Togger, K-R-I-S-T-O-G-G-E-R, and you might be able to find the Alliance DVD of The Idiots kicking around in a used bin somewhere, but you're going to have more luck finding that film streaming on Mubi in the U.S. and Canada. You can find me on Blue Sky at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. 
The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash simcast. That's the first 52 episodes of someone else's movie, 44 of which aren't available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get the new booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>